Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 14, verses 16 to 23, as Dr. Newfeld continues our series, Lifestyle of the Gospel, with a message entitled Principles of Godly Freedom, Part 2. Some of us can't get our heads around a fundamental issue. The local Christian church is intended to look different in different cultures around the world. How they structure the pattern of their worship changes depending on the culture. How they take to discipling the next generation has differing structures, even while the fundamentals of the faith are not changed. That's to say the truth does not change, but the clothing in which the truth is presented, well, that does change. I don't mean to say that the principle of worship changes. I mean, we're called upon to celebrate the gospel in some very familiar patterns. And those patterns do include singing, the prayers of God's people, the sacraments or the ordinances, which include baptism and the Lord's table, and then finally, the preaching of the word. But how that's done does change in various cultures. But there are not only differing expressions of worship in various cultures, but there are also variant cultural practices. You know, I've met with Christians in one Near Eastern country in which the eating of pork was forbidden them. Of course, it's not forbidden in the New Testament. One young woman spent a great deal of time with my wife on that issue. So Kathy and this woman were talking about the issue, well, that's discussed in Romans 14. It's about freedom and what that looks like and the restrictions that Christians place around their own freedom. It's, it's about godly freedom. You know, I began a lengthy discussion of principles of godly freedom yesterday, and in truth, I only discussed one such principle. That principle is wonderfully expounded in Romans 14, verse 13. Decide, says Paul, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You know, Paul had in mind the weaker brother, not, not the opinionated brother. See, Paul wanted all Christians to protect those brothers and sisters who might stumble from the exercise of Christian freedom that confuses them. Now, this was especially true when it came to Jewish Christians who were still relatively new to the faith and wondered whether they belonged. If Gentiles, and other Jews for that matter, ate non-kosher food, what does that say about the law of God and keeping God's commands? And so the very first principle was this. When you make choices in regard to community standards or community traditions that, that are not mandated in Scripture, you have freedom. It's kind of like early Zwingli in the 1500s eating sausages during Lent. He was trying to illustrate that when it comes to church law, we need not obey those laws that are not mandated in the Scripture. But Paul would add, well, that's right, but make sure you don't cause a weak and vacillating brother or sister to stumble from the faith. Watch out for them. In verse 15, Paul adds, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Amen. Let's finish up Romans 14 and find out what other principles we might find about the responsible use of Christian freedom. So I'm reading now verses 16 to 23. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace 
and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Again, we do well to remember the context. Paul has been making the point that it really is possible that some exercise of legitimate Christian freedom destroys the faith of others. Loving freedom is careful about the spiritual well-being of others. So imagine a Jewish Christian. His friends have been telling him he, he doesn't belong to the Christian faith. He's a Jew. And so he's struggling with wanting to belong to Christ. And Paul says, even though I know I can eat anything around such a brother, I will not to make sure that I don't alienate him. I want him to belong. I limit my freedom in such cases out of love so that he's not isolated. Well, let me give you a contemporary example of just that. You'll notice that Jesus used wine in initiating the Lord's table, and when some churches celebrate communion, well, they use grape juice. Why? Well, there are those who argue that those who do that are not following our Lord's pattern. It's not genuine communion unless it faithfully reproduces the elements that Christ used, and that would mean real wine. But still others remain unconvinced. Given the high levels of abuse of alcohol in our culture, are we not tempting those who are quickly seduced back into patterns of uncontrolled overconsumption of alcohol? Well, whatever you make of those reasons, one thing becomes clear to me. I refuse to make such an issue an issue of division among believers. Loving freedom makes some allowances for the sake of the weak among us. Now, let's look at the second principle of godly freedom. Never let your use of freedom allow you to get sidetracked from the main thing. Verse 16 to 18 says, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, in verse 16, we are well served to ask, what is the good thing that might be spoken of as evil? I mean, what are we talking about? And we might say, well, it must be the proper exercise of freedom. That is, don't let the exercise of your freedom be spoken of as an evil thing. But I think that's the wrong interpretation of verse 16, and here's why. Verse 16 is an imperative, or it's a command. Then verse 17 begins with the word for, which signals the reader that what we have here is a causal clause. See, whenever we come to a causal clause that follows an imperative, we actually have a command and then the reason why the command is given. So again, the command is this. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And then the reason for the command. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking at all. In other words, don't get caught up in long discussions about that. So then, what is the main thing or the good thing that might be spoken of as evil? Well, the main thing must then be the gospel. Here's what Paul is saying. Don't let what you regard as good, that is, the gospel, be slandered by others because of your use of Christian freedom. 
Can a person be a Christian and smoke? How about drink alcohol or go to the movies or get tattoos or color their hair a fluorescent color that glows in the dark and pierce their nose with pointed spikes? I mean, do you know how often Christians have been dominated by those kinds of discussions? And do you also notice that we're getting sidetracked? The main thing is always the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins. His death has appeased the anger of God. And now the angel of death has passed over us, and we, through faith in him and in his finished work, can have forgiveness of sins and access to the Father and can claim all of the promises for ourselves. See, sometimes we miss that because the secondary questions threaten to destroy us or at least obscure the gospel message. See, here's an example as to how the gospel becomes obscured. In our day, where the culture we live in emphasizes diversity rather than conformity, we sometimes become confused as to how much diversity is allowed in the church and what conformity is demanded of us. And so, given the diversity in our culture, sometimes I hear questions that go like this. Well, can anyone get to God outside of Christ? I mean, after all, it seems that we live in a culture that has great diversity, and that diversity includes diversity of religious expression. Well, the answer to that question depends on what you think the gospel is. The gospel attempts to solve a problem, and that problem is called sin. The Bible says that no one seeks God, and all are condemned, all face wrath, unless our debt before God is paid while we can't get right with God. And furthermore, the gospel says that Christ alone is the wrath-bearing sacrifice before God. Without his death to satisfy the justice and righteousness of God, while well, Christ alone has bridged that gap. And furthermore, grace flows from the cross, and it is appropriated by faith in him and faith alone. Look again at verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. If you get sidetracked from the main issue and argue over musical styles and tattoos and alcohol, what is good, that is the gospel, will be lost from our consciousness, and what we'll talk about is something that's secondary and not primary. We're coming to the deadline for your opportunity to register for the Back of the Bible Canada 2022 Israel Experience. The time is drawing close and we're nearing capacity. So if you're thinking of joining us for the Holy Land Adventure from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh-A-Gains Phil Calloway, musical guest Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, now's the time. Tour the Holy Land, walk where Jesus, Paul, David walked, sail the Sea of Galilee, visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, and join together for a communion service at the Garden Tomb. The full Israel Experience itinerary is available online, and to ensure an intimate experience, event numbers are limited, so register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Romans 14:17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about cultural rules. Rather, it's about three things. First, the word righteousness 
is at the heart of the gospel. We're not righteous, Christ is. In the gospel of Jesus, a righteousness of God is revealed. Christ has become our righteousness. Second, the kingdom of God is about peace. Romans 5.1 declares that having been made righteous by faith, we have peace with God. The hostility of God towards us has been appeased through Christ. And what follows third is the life of eternal joy. Later on in Romans 15.13, Paul will say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, overflowing with joy because in Christ we have been made acceptable in the presence of God. And so we have some principles that govern our use of freedom. First, we limit our freedom when we see that our freedom might actually cause a brother or a sister to stumble in their faith. And now second, we must be sure that when we limit our freedom or when we exercise our freedom for that matter, that this doesn't become the main thing and this doesn't obscure the gospel message. Fix your attention on the essence of the gospel. Be known as proclaimers of the gospel, not proclaimers of cultural rules or proclaimers of your rebellion against cultural rules. If you want to use freedom, begin to separate out what's really important. Use your freedom to protect the genuine faith of others and never get sidetracked from the main thing. Now let's move on to our third principle about godly freedom, and that's found in verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now the word so then means as a result of what I have been teaching, let this be your focus. Now, when Paul uses the word pursue, he's not saying, you know, take note of this. The word pursue means to do something with intense effort. Give your full attention to this, and with all your might, pursue what builds peace and mutuality. You know, in the New Testament, the most important thing about peace is that in the gospel, peace has come between God and us. But here the term peace is used as a description of the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sure, says Paul, that your relationship with one another looks like the peace that you have with God. And then Paul adds mutual upbuilding. Other translations say mutual edification. Look for things that are encouraging and look for things that promote growth in one another. In other words, use all your energy to pursue the spiritual growth of brothers and sisters. And then verse 20. And before I read this, by the way, please note that this is an imperative. This is a direct command from God. Here it is. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You know, the word destroy here is very important. Remember now, this is the second time that Paul uses the word destroy in this chapter. Remember, we said that the word destroy means to bring spiritual ruin. Now, here in verse 20, Paul's not speaking about the, the ruination of individuals, but the work of God, which is his church. He says, don't destroy the gospel message of the church. Let me give an example. You know, in 1 Corinthians 3.17, Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You know, sometimes 1 Corinthians 3.17 has been used to condemn smoking or some other unhealthy practice. But in fact, this verse is not an individual verse. 
The temple spoken of here is is not the human body of individual believers. It's the body of Christ, the church. The Bible says if you destroy God's church, God will respond and he will destroy you. Now, I've chosen to put that positively. I said that the command is to actively pursue the good of the church. But in our text, and in 1 Corinthians 3.17, it's meant as a sober warning. God does not take lightly those who attempt to destroy the work of God. And here we need to ask a question. How many churches have split and fractured and begun quarreling over minor matters, secondary matters? You know, if you want freedom, use it wisely. Freely choose to actively pursue the good of the church. Speak well of each other. Build each other up. Don't quarrel. Look for ways that bring peace. And, says Paul in verse 21, be willing to make sacrifices for others. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, I know Paul is here addressing, you know, Jewish and Gentile Christians. But this verse can be widely applied. I mean, for instance, take the issue of drinking wine. You want to know about freedom in Christ? You're free to drink alcohol or not. It's not an essential issue. Now, I was raised in a home where there was wine. My parents would finish off a bottle of wine. It would take them about three to four months to do so. I never saw alcohol abused by my parents, although I did see it abused by others. Years later, I made a decision. I would never drink again. Why? Did I not have freedom? Well, I did. But I saw, especially among the youth that I worked with in those days, how how quickly my freedom was misunderstood. I saw how the abuse of alcohol was threatening many. And I was concerned not to harm the work of God through my practices. So, I just became a teetotaler. Been one for well over 40 years. And over the years, I've seen how well that has served me. No mixed messages, a very clear practice. Now, it's one thing to give up alcohol because, you know, someone's opinionated or who has, you know, really weird view of things. I mean, to those who have argued that wine in the Bible had no alcohol content, I hardly know how to respond. It's really a silly debate. It's just untrue. I gave up alcohol because of weakness and harm not because of silly opinions. And that's simply an example of my use of freedom. I could freely abstain so that the gospel, not alcohol, was the main thing. Now, Paul's not quite finished. He's been telling us to protect the genuine faith of others and never get sidetracked from the main thing and to use our freedom to build up, encourage the church. But there's a principle of freedom that gets very close to the central issue about all godly freedom. It's found in verse 22a. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, what Paul is saying here is simple. What you believe about things that are non-essential to the gospel, things that are morally neutral, you keep between yourself and God. That's, That's the first part of the verse. Then he said, blessed are you when you don't condemn yourself over this. So with this in mind, let me tell you a story that I've heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and how he quit smoking. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world in the 1800s. He preached from London, and his sermons were printed everywhere, and he impacted many lives for the gospel. When he came to America, many Christians were scandalized because he smoked cigars. And remember, this was a time when the health effects of smoking were not quite as well-known as they are today. But once he was asked how he justified this, and he said, well, the Bible says, 
all things are to be done in moderation. And then when he was asked, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, what would be an immoderate use of tobacco? He thought for a while and he said, well, if I were smoking two cigars at the same time. Well, that was funny, but Spurgeon was not going to bow to the prejudices of others. But one day back in London, Spurgeon was walking down the street and he saw an advertisement for a cigar. It said, we sell the cigar that Charles Haddon Spurgeon smokes. In an instant, he saw that his example was negatively affecting others and he limited his freedom. He stopped smoking. Now, the last part of the passage. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And here's the issue. Whatever you can do to the glory of God while well, you just keep doing that thing, and whatever causes you inner upheaval, stop it now. Can you do that? Can you stop those things that don't come from faith? See, we live in a culture that stresses freedom. And during this time in history, Christians tend to be more tolerant of personal lifestyle choices than other Christians in the past. But do your lifestyle choices arise out of the earnestness to glorify God in everything? And if they don't arise from faith, they are indeed a sinful choice. So, learn wisdom and apply faith to every choice that you make. John, I know this question is going to come up in people's minds, so I may as well ask you, for clarification's sake, are you saying that smoking is okay? Ben, I am absolutely not saying that. Smoking is not okay for this reason, because it affects your health badly. We now know that, so we are well served to stay away from that. But that brings up a good question because, you know, I also mentioned alcohol, and am I saying alcohol consumption is fine? Now, Ben, you know, to have my own way, I would simply want to ban alcohol simply because I have seen how much harm is done in our culture. But I, I can't make that case biblically, but I can make it on the base, uh, basis of wisdom and the amount of alcoholism in our culture. So, you know, on all those bases, I, I want to say, let's not make hard and fast rules, but let's tell people what wisdom looks like and to help them to use their, their freedom for wisdom's sake. Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow as we continue this series in the book of Romans, the lifestyle of the gospel right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. As we enter a new year, we want to begin by expressing our sincere gratitude to all those who so graciously supported Back to the Bible Canada's year-end ministry campaign. Your gift in December was critical to launching the ministry into the new year, sustaining our Bible teaching resources, and providing a springboard for new and innovative opportunities. So on behalf of Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, In Doubt, and the entire Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, Thank you. What you do is essential to the mission of this organization, and we're blessed beyond words for your generosity. As we enter a new year, please continue to pray for this ministry. And if Back to the Bible Canada is an important part of your spiritual walk with Jesus, and you believe in the mission of Bible teaching, please consider continuing your financial support or becoming a monthly partner. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. 
www.thepeopleshow.ca.